Thank you again, gentlemen. That was beautiful. As I had mentioned earlier, immediately following our service, we are going to be having a farewell potluck for Stephen and Raynell. We know many of you will be joining us and be able to share your appreciation with them personally. But we as a corporate body wanted to uh, invite them up at this time to say a little thank you to them uh, before all of our congregation. Finneys, will you please join me up here? And Maryland, if you want to join me as well. Pastor Steve has, of course, been a pastor here for the last almost three years. And uh, Steve Jr., if you come to first service, has probably taught us just as much in children's story with some of his answers, and Rachel as well. Uh, during children's story, they always are, are with good answers. Maybe you have a little preacher in you down the road, both of you. But uh, we wanted to, before all our congregation, thank them for their service. Stephen actually officially offended, uh, uh, ended his duties uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's already begun working with the conference and uh, in preparation for camp meeting, I know, and other youth activities this summer, and also in preparation for his duties at Highland View Academy. But we have something in here. It says your name on there, Stephen, but... Um, it's maybe more Raynell's, but uh, we have something in there that's for the family, a little token of our appreciation. We have some flowers that we would like to give to Raynell as well, and uh, just something to say thank you, and that we appreciate you, and we're praying for you as you guys transition to your new journey. Can we thank them? young people even today Stephen was down with the young people and we thank you for your ministry to our to our young people and your constant presence there with them and uh, I invited Stephen to share a couple things so Stephen feel free it's never easy to leave uh, always with mixed emotions that you kind of move on to a new place and it's one of the reasons why we were late getting in this morning is people are you know wondering what's going on where are you going and uh, you just get that last couple of minutes and try to assure each other that, you know, we're not leaving. We're just going somewhere different and uh, we'll still be around to say hi and, and visit. And uh, so we're looking forward to those occasions. And uh, we will love and miss, uh, we do love and we will miss all of you guys. And uh, we thank you for your support while we've been here. We just have a moment of prayer for them all. Rachel, if you want to come join us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the Finney family. We thank you for the joy that is in their hearts and that they've shared with us over these years. We thank you for uh, their presence, uh, Raynell's sacrifice, as Stephen really was at every event there at the school and at various functions, and we thank you for, for the sacrifice she's made for our church. We thank you for the time uh, and the emotion that uh, Stephen has invested in our young people and for the lives that he's impacted while he's been here. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to bless them and guide them, that you will uh, give them clarity and, uh, and courage as they, they move forward in a new um, ministry. Continue to speak to their hearts and to their minds, Lord, and bless them. May we as a congregation always be faithful to remember them in prayer and to uh, remember to lift them up before you, Jesus, and your throne. Bless them now, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And please, again...
uh, join us today after, right afterwards so that you can say, uh, give your appreciation and thanks and share your memories with them as well. And we will, you will see them though. They're, they're not going far and you will see them around. And I know some of you will be at camp meeting next week um, and you will see Stephen there and Rennell and the kids there as well. Um, before I begin my sermon, one thing that I want to do that I, haven't, that I don't normally do, but um, speaking of next week, I want to comment on something that's going to happen next week and um, just and ask you to prepare your hearts and your minds uh, as, as God leads. But next Sabbath has been designated by the World Church as the as Refugee Sabbath, the World Refugee Sabbath, and there will be a special offering that will be taken up uh, uh, for ADRA uh, next Sabbath to help with the refugee crisis that is going on all over uh, this world, uh, of course, particularly in the Middle East and Syria and Sudan and, and Afghanistan and Iraq and many places in which there's a number of refugees flooding out of. Um, and I just want to ask you if you will take some time to pray about uh, how God may be impressing your heart to give uh, to, to that mission in your offering next week. Uh, maybe to encourage you a little bit in your, in your motivation of, of giving or in, in what, what's really happening with some of these people's lives. I'd encourage you to pull out your Adventist world from this past uh, month or uh, this month and, and read. There's a number of tremendous articles and presentations in there. I want to mention this to you as well because uh, when I was in, in uh, I went this past year to a refugee summit in Croatia and uh, got to see some of the things and hear frontline stories about the things that were taking place there. And one of the things that really struck my heart uh, was the fact that in a place like, say, Macedonia, just one example, just one refugee stop along the way in Macedonia, they had processed over 970 children, unaccompanied children, 12 years and under. They were unaccompanied. And these kids are particularly vulnerable to various trials and plights and, and exploitation in this world. And that particularly touched me. And then when I preached my sermon here on refugees, um, there were a number of people that came up to me that that... that that their particular concern was in regards to the refugees was in regard uh, was 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 for the children. I said, how can we help the children? How can we help the children? Well, I've spoken with the leaders of Adra and uh, Adra International, and they've assured me that any money that we collect here at at Spencerville uh, Church, that every bit of it will be used to help these uh, children, these unaccompanied refugee children, and that they would be willing to commit to that for us. So I know that there's some that have varying views on, on refugees, but I hope all of us can agree that children are innocent in the ills of grown-ups. Amen? Can we agree with that? Our children are innocent spectators in the, in the midst of this and even innocent participants in the midst of this. And so I just want to encourage you next week as you come, $32 can help one of these unaccompanied children get education, get health, medical, all these things, $32. So... Uh, Maybe don't go out to eat one time this week or don't go to a movie for the rest of the year. That would be more than $32, but it's just a good idea anyways, uh, or whatever it may be. And, uh, and just wanted to mention that um, before I started my sermon. And again, I'm grateful to ADRA for their willingness to commit that whatever Spencerville raises, 
that we will be able to give specifically to a project associated for the children. And, uh, and as I know, that touched many of your hearts and also my heart as well um, in that observance. So can we pray now just before I start? Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace towards us. Please open our hearts and our minds to your word today. Uh, we just mentioned the children. They're so small, but they have such potential. Not just our children in this room, which we saw today during Children's Story, but every child around this world. Now we want to talk about something else that's small, Lord, today, but, but, but help us to see how you do great things with, with just the littlest, littlest of things, the tiniest of things. In your name we pray, amen. As I just said in my prayer, small things, and you probably know this as well, small things can have ultimately very large effects on an impact on people in the world. It's interesting to think that pretty much all music and all symphonies and concertos and oratorios and hymns and songs and all music comes basically and is centered basically around eight notes. All the profound words that have ever been uttered or ever been written. We've read, many of you have read, read uh, books or you've heard words spoken that, that have just moved your heart or maybe even they, the words have been so powerful as you read those stories in those books your the words have been so powerful that they've literally transported your mind to another place and you can imagine yourself in that place all of these amazing words and amazing sentences are all written with in the, in the english language come from just 26 small letters small beginnings extensive results there is a uh, 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 a study within mathematics, within the field of mathematics, uh, known as chaos theory. And chaos theory, there is this paradigm, within chaos theory, there is this paradigm known as the butterfly effect. The name of the effect coined by Ed Lorenz is derived by the theoretical example, the theoretical belief example of a hurricane's formation literally being contingent on on whether or not a distant butterfly or the, the strength of a butterfly's wings, the butterfly had flapped its wings several weeks earlier. They say that just it's that, it's that much that just starts a hurricane on its journey. In music or literature and language, in science and math or weather patterns, things that by themselves are little or that start very little can become absolutely profound. Just, just a few letters placed together, small letters placed together can become a profound word, a profound idea. Just, just a few notes placed together can become a beautiful piece that, that makes us weep. Just the flapping of a wings of a butterfly can, can begin a stirring of, of weather patterns that can impact the world. There was a story of a young man by the name of Well Gonim a young man that started a Facebook page, you may have remember his name, he started a Facebook page that ignited a revolution in the Middle East, the Egyptian revolution back in 2012. They said he, this young man's page had, had much to do with the revolution that, or, or the launching of the revolution as it took place. If you've grown up in snowy territory and, and you've been a kid and you've been around uh, hillsides and you've gone sledding, you know that, 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 that those moments when there's a little bit of snow that starts next to you as you're sliding down that hill or as you're walking down that hill and it begins to pick up speed and it gathers momentum and it gathers snow as it goes down and something that started very little at the top of the hill grows and grows and grows. 
small beginnings, profound and extensive results. And that's what we're speaking about today from the book of Matthew chapter 13. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles there to the book of Matthew chapter 13 or your tablets or your smartphones as well. Matthew chapter 13, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. Jesus presented another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, some people may immediately want to argue with Jesus. There may be a botanist or two in here that wants to debate Jesus on this. They may say, well, the, the mustard seed isn't, in fact, the smallest seed, and they are correct in this assessment. But within the Jewish culture, it was referenced as such. This was, a, this was a form of speech. To refer to something as small as a mustard seed was a form of speech. So Jesus is, is using the colloquial language of the day in order to teach a lesson. This is the, the, the master preacher that he was. He, he picked up on the language of the day and he, and he utilized it within his sermon. For instance, they would say if there was just a small bit of blood, they would say, is just a drop as small as a mustard seed. Or, or if someone spoke about someone breaking the ceremonial law, they would, they would say that it, they spoke of it as, as defilement. They defiled the law the size of a mustard seed. Jesus is speaking here, y'all, proverbially. He is not trying to give a botany lesson. He's not trying to be absolute and develop facts on, on, on seeds or these types of things. He used the illustration of the mustard seed in a proverbial way that was used in his specific day and time. It's a way of, it's a figure of speech. Much like we would say something like wise as an owl or, or clever as a fox, or maybe some of you have even been called a sly little devil. Well, I would hope that none of you are, in fact, little devils, and I would hope that all of you are more clever than a fox, and I hope that none of you measure your wisdom by that of an owl. I've never understood why wise as an owl took form when all I see them do is sit in a tree and go, who? And that's, that's, that's really all I, you know, I don't understand the wisdom there. Well, they're wise because they do it at just that moment when it's dark and suddenly they do something and it freaks you out. Maybe that's just me because I'm a city boy, but, but uh, some of you looked at me like, what a wimp. But the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed. In other words, it's something small. It's something very small, which a man took and sowed in his Field. And this is smaller, he says, than all the other seeds. Not literally, but proverbially speaking. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Jesus made this proverbial point to, to make a this proverbial statement to make a point, a very clear and a very simple point. The point the Lord is saying is this. You have, there is no real apparent connection between the smallness of the seed and the largeness of the end result. There's no real apparent connection between how small something starts and the end result. You have this very small seed issuing a very large bush. You can plant a barley seed, a small barley seed, and it will grow into a, into a larger uh, uh, 
plant of wheat. You can plant a seed or a seed of wheat or of corn and you get a fairly good sized thing. And, and in this case, you plant this small little seed and you get a bush, maybe 15 or more feet high. Enough, as a car said, large enough for a horse to ride under. Why is this an important point? First, because Jesus' disciples needed to understand. They needed to understand this themselves, that you don't have to start big in order to get to big. You don't have to have some big, fantastic beginning in order to get to big. You say they were expecting a totally different picture of the kingdom of heaven. The entire time they were walking with Jesus, they were struggling with this idea. Why are we so small when, Jesus, when God's kingdom is supposed to be so big? Why are we so small? Why are we taking over Rome? Why are we, why are we manifesting ourselves in a larger way? Jesus said, listen, the kingdom will start. What? It's going to start small. It's going to start small. This was important to tell the disciples. They were a little group, literally being rejected on every side, rejected by their fellow Jews who, who were supposed to know better and supposed to understand the scriptures and understand that, 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 that this Jesus was the Messiah. But they were also rejected by the Romans who, who found, found them to be, to be full of folly in, in their belief. This was important for them to understand. And Jesus says, that's okay, that's the plan. Everything starts from something very small, very small. In fact, this kingdom of heaven was so small, was so small that they couldn't even see it. They couldn't even recognize it even after they had lived with Jesus for three and a half years and worked with Jesus for three and a half years. Even after they had watched Jesus hang on a cross and die and heard what he said. Even after they had seen that he had raised from the dead. Even after walking with him for another 40 days in which he explained all the things that had happened. They still, this kingdom of heaven was still so small that they couldn't, it was imperceptible to them. You may recall in Acts chapter 1, in the book of Acts chapter 1, the disciples, what do they say? They're up with Jesus on the hill and they say to Jesus, is it at this time that you're going to establish your kingdom? They're still looking around and saying, where's this, where's this kingdom at? Even after all that time, that's how small the kingdom of heaven still was. Is it at this time you're going to establish your kingdom for us? The kingdom of heaven oftentimes begins very small. Two lessons. The kingdom of heaven starts small. The kingdom of heaven started very small. The kingdom of heaven ends very large. Simple outline. Jesus says, it starts small, it grows into something very large. It started with a baby in a manger, it grew into something much greater. It started with a church of 120 people. It grew into something much greater. It started with a one man preaching a sermon at Pentecost, and it grew into something much greater. We should understand this even within the context of our own history as a church, as the Seventh-day Adventist church. It started small, a few people studying the Bible, a few people that were, that were discouraged and frustrated, some former Millerites disappointed because they had thought that Jesus was going to come back in 1844. And when he didn't show up, they were upset about this. And so they began to study their Bibles to see where they went wrong. And they're studying and they're looking and, they, and, and while they're saying, well, we should never have set a date and we should never set a date again, they're still thinking, Jesus is coming at any time. 
Jesus is coming at any time. And they're even thinking to themselves, well, there's just a few of us, and we know that, that, that the remnant's going to be small, and so, so maybe we're not even supposed to grow. Maybe we're not even supposed to, to, to witness and, and to reach out to save more people. Maybe it's just supposed to stay small. And they're asking the question, does God want us to grow? And by 1863, they finally figure out that maybe God does want us to grow, and God wants us to be a church, and, and they decide to take a name. But even when they take a name and become an official church in 1863, the, 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 the group is only 3,500 people. 3,500 people. Shoot, we probably have 3,500 people that work in that building down the road now. I mean, but that's how big the entire church was at that time. 3,500 people, and now 153 years later, 19 million Adventists worldwide. This very small little group of people that were disappointed began studying together, and by 1863, there are only 3,500 people, and now they, are, they, are, they oversee the most developed Protestant school system in the entire world. They oversee one of the most influential and, de- and the largest Protestant medical systems in the entire world. The things that God may start as small can end up very large. They can end up very large. It's not just, though, something corporately. It's also something personally as well. The work of grace in the heart is oftentimes small in its beginning. A word is spoken, a ray of light is shed into the soul, an influence is exerted, that is, beginning, that is the beginning of the new life. And maybe we're not even quite aware of it, but, but, but already it is something that is becoming great, and we're unable to fully measure its results. Right now, in each and every person in this room, I believe that God is, God is, God is growing something in each and every one of us. There's something at least small in each and every one of us. Something that is growing, though, that will alter the course of our lives and and may ultimately alter the course of history for our church and even for the world. But not only is the growth of Christ's kingdom illustrated by the parable of the mustard seed in that sense, but, but in every stage of its growth, the experience represented in the parable is repeated over and over again. Most of the things that are in each of our lives, they start out small and then they grow from generation to generation. For each person in every generation, God has a special work that he longs to do for and through each one of us. We may think to ourselves, well, my little skills, my small skills, my small faith, my small talent, my small energy may not be able to do anything. But God sees that small thing, and he tells those disciples, what you see as small ultimately can become mighty through my hands and through my grace. I think of even our church, our individual church, the Spencerville Church, and I think of the individual members within our Spencerville Church. And we're not huge. We may be large by by Seventh-day Adventist standards, but we're not huge, and each of us individually are not not. Most of us, there's a few of us are, but most of us aren't very powerful in, in, in a real sense. And yet, even with us, each one of us, just individually, the impact God could have on the world if we recognize with just the smallness that we have to offer, the small amount that we have to offer, how much more God can do, how, how God grows that thing. 
Jesus was saying, if you doubt this, just look at the mustard seed. We could say right now, if you doubt this, just, just think about yourselves. Each one of you were made by God, and each one of you started very, very, very small. Each one of us started very small. I started small, and you started small. I mentioned last week how, uh, I mentioned last week how at one point during Christina's pregnancy, we thought she had lost, uh, had miscarried, and how we went to the doctor, and, and the doctor had, had uh took us into his office to check to make sure everything was okay and that, and that, uh, and that she'd be able to have kids again and we were fully convinced that, that, that Dayton was gone. And then he saw this little flashing thing. He said, I, I need to check this out a little more. And, and uh, he saw this uh, flashing. He said, you see that flashing light? And he said, that's your baby's heart. And I looked at Christine and she had tears running down her face and she looked at me and I had tears running down my face and I literally tackled the doctor off of his stool there. But that little tiny flashing light has become something large and profound in our lives. And our little son Landon and our little son Levi, they each became, were just this tiny little thing, nothing. Didn't even know they were growing there. And yet they've become large and profound in our lives. And each one of you start as small, and, and, and you may see yourself as small, and even others may see you as small in some ways. And yet, yet the king of the universe sees what we see as small and says, man, something great can be made out of that. Something powerful and incredible can come through that small little beginning. But how does this happen? How does this happen? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field that is the smallest of all seeds, but it, when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. How does this does this happen? I believe the answer is right there in the next verse, in verse 33. I believe the answer is in the next verse. It says, Jesus told them another parable, verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. I love this passage, this passage in verse Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33. I love this passage but because to me this is even further example of Jesus's master skills as a preacher and his, his insight into understanding humanity and who we are and how we, how we do things. Have any of you ever heard a preacher say something, maybe even this preacher say something, and you thought to yourself, man, I can't believe he just said that. Anyone ever thought that? Have anyone ever thought, man, his poor wife? <laughs> Anyways, uh, moving along. But Jesus actually shared things that, that startled people. We read this text, Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, and we read it, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, and we move right along. But, but this phrase right here would have grabbed a hold of his hearers. It would have, it would have grabbed a hold of his hearers because, because in the Jewish culture, leaven was not seen as something good. Leaven was, was not compared to good things. Leaven was seen as an example of something evil, of something wicked. You may remember that leaven, this emblem of sin, at the time of the Passover, the people were directed to remove all the leaven from their houses as they were to put away sin from their hearts. The leaven represented sin. You know, and Christ warned the disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, he himself even said, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And the apostle Paul, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 said, Leaven 
uh, speaks of the leaven of malice and wickedness. So, so in the Jewish culture, leaven was oftentimes seen as a symbol of sin, but now Jesus takes leaven and he compares it to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is a master preacher, and maybe there were some people that were beginning to doze off in his sermons. I know that some of you have those, those moments in, in, in things, and I'm sure that human nature is not much different. But, but Jesus maybe is sitting there, he's preaching and saying, okay, how do I really grab their attention? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And they said, did he just compare heaven to leaven? Which would be saying, like, did he just compare heaven to hell, to sin? Jesus grabs a hold of their, their, their attention. But why does Jesus use leaven? Is it more than just grabbing a hold of their attention? Why does Jesus use leaven? Because leaven changes things. Leaven changes things. Jesus said three measures. With just three measures, he said in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. She took a little bit of leaven and this three measures then grew up. And in the commentaries that I read, they said that, that, that three measures basically is the ability to feed 100 people, to provide bread for 100 people. And Jesus says, just this little bit of leaven inserted in this, this three measures of, of, of dough makes food enough for 100 people. Jesus in the mustard seed parable says, I can take that small little faith, I can take that little thing planted in your heart, and I can do great things. The parable of the mustard seed is about growth, but how do we actually grow? I believe the answer is in verse 33. We grow through the leaven of grace. Leaven changes things, and the parable of leaven is about something that is unseen transforming us and changing us from the inside, from the inside. Both parables represent progress. Both parables represent progress. You see, Jesus doesn't just say the gospel grows large just by chance. He tells us how it does that. The gospel grows in us by changing us. Some of us would take the parable of the mustard and we say, seed and we say, that's great. I want to be, even though I'm starting small, I want to be great someday. Well, how do we do something great? How do we become something great? It is only as we allow the leaven of grace, the leaven of Jesus' love, the leaven of his, of his compassion and his caring in us, change us and transform us. Both of these parables are about progress. One is progress towards growth, and the other is progress of change. Leaven is a foreign substance introduced into another substance, and as Mark said, it's actually alive and living, and, it, and that other substance begins to grow because of the leaven in it. It becomes something more. It's not simply about that little seed and me saying, well, I've got something small, but one day I'm going to be great. One day I'm going to do something awesome. One day I'm going to be wonderful. You know, I love, I, I, I love listening. I know that, that some of you would be abhorred, but are of horror listening to it, but I love listening to all the politics stuff. I, I apologize if it drives you crazy and you think the worst place to live in the world at this time of year is D.C., but I love it. I mean, I think it's very interesting. I'm so glad I live in D.C. at the time of election, uh, and no matter who's the president, I'm going to be at that inauguration because I've never been to one. I want to be down there, maybe way in the back with binoculars, but I want to be there. But, but I love listening to these things, but what I notice, no matter what, no matter who the candidate is, 
almost always you hear time and time again uh, in, in, our, in, our, in our, now we're down to basically two, in, the, in these two candidates, you hear, I've done this, I did this, I do this. If we take that seed and we think of it in that context, I, 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 nothing will ever happen. We need verse 33. Verse 33 is that thing that teaches us that, that it's something inside of us that changes us. And that's not our work of ourselves. That's a work of someone else. That's the leaven. That's the power of something else. I believe it's what Paul is speaking of in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. The book of Ephesians chapter 2. Go eat pizza, Chad. You remember that? Ephesians chapter 2. So Galatians and then Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul is writing this. He said... And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, now listen to this verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What's that ingredient? What's that leaven that is in us that changes us, that transforms us? What is it, that thing that, that makes us go from being dead to being alive in Jesus Christ? It is the leaven of grace. It's not you. It's not me. It's not that little skill that God's going to make somehow amazing. It's the leaven of grace. You who were dead in our, we who were dead in our trespasses uh, uh, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is the gift of God. The mistake we made is when we discover the mistake we make as humanity is when we discover that there's something in us and we say, but but I want to be great or I want to do something great. And then we start to try to take control and try to figure out how we're gonna do it and try to manipulate it and change it. When the reality is the only thing that can make that small seed great is the leaven of grace growing in us and changing us. And changing us. The seed grows to become something great, but it grows because also we're growing, we're being changed by the leaven of God's grace. The Bible says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are created for good works, but not good works so that we can become great, but good works because we have been changed, transformed, by the power of God's grace. The leaven hidden in the flower, Christ's Object Lessons, page 98, works invisibly to bring the whole mass under its leavening process. So the leaven of truth, the leaven of grace, the leaven of love works secretly, silently, steadily to transform the soul. The natural inclinations are softened and subdued. New thoughts, new feelings, new motives are implanted. A new standard of character is set up. The life of Christ, the mind is changed. 
The faculties are roused to action in new lines. Man is not endowed with new faculties, but the faculties he has are sanctified. They are changed. They are made new by the grace of Jesus Christ. The conscience is awakened. We are endowed with traits of character that enable us to do service for God. There is this unseen thing that God longs to plant in each one of our hearts, that God, I believe, has planted in each one of our lives. Small, maybe seemingly nothing, but it grows and grows and it becomes something great. You are something great. You are something great because you are growing into something great through the grace and the changes of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because you planted something in you. It's because Jesus has planted something in each heart, an unseen thing and this unseen power. The unseen thing is that little skill, that little faith, that little measure that he's going to grow into something huge for him. That unseen power is that grace that that he's going to grow and use to, to change you and to transform you and to transform me into his image and to his glory. The kingdom of God that progresses forward in each, in each of us progresses because of the life-changing power of the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I think about what I want in my heart and what I want in my life, I want the mustard seeds and I want leaven in my life. I don't care if they're small, I don't care if they're unseen. But if they're planted there by Jesus Christ, and they're nurtured there by Jesus Christ, and they're watered there by Jesus Christ, and they're cared for there by Jesus Christ, I know they will grow. And not only will God then use me to do things for him that I never thought possible, but I also know then that God will change me to make me more like him each and every day. And that dead man, that man dead in his trespasses, We'll get further and further and further behind. And the new man in Jesus Christ will be an example and a testimony for him. Jesus has a great plan for each one of you. No matter what your age, no matter what your education, no matter what your race, no matter what your social status, Jesus has a plan for each one of us. And what may seem small and insignificant to you, if you'll allow his grace to change your heart, that small thing will become something great for his honor and for his glory. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray that you'll fill our hearts with your mustard seed and with your leaven. We pray that you will grow the seed, not by our power or by our might, but because we are being transformed into something new by your grace each and every day. We thank you, Lord. Amen.